Happy New Year. I'm Jonathan. I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. Last time we got together, Jeremy, it was 2022, right? Last year. Yeah, we got together last year. Last year. So now it's 2023 and uh, New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. We said at the beginning, but it's, you know, 2022 is over. Yep. So New Year, new The Evangelicals podcast. Well, it's you, you can decide whether or not yeah. this is new or if it's just more of the same. <laughs> and you also could resolve to give us money this year. I don't know how... I should have I should have come up with some sort of a system to do that. Yeah. If I'm going to propose that, I guess. But again, we're very open to sponsorships, you guys. We can be bought. So, but until then, we're going to continue to talk about the things that we care about. And one of those things that we've been talking about recently is the idea of Christian clichés. And Jeremy, you said something very fascinating to me before we went on. And it, you said you said that these these clichés could be damaging to God's reputation. Mm. That's that's interesting. Say a little bit more about that. I think that anytime we say something and attribute God to it, it it is setting God up either to um, to be someone who is is very involved, um, or it could set him up to be someone who is very detached. Um, and I feel like. You know what made me think about it when we're talking about it is is I feel like that was the point through the whole Old Testament. You know, it made me think of uh, Ezekiel thirty six that I'm going to sanctify you for my name, because if people understand that I am holy and loving and compassionate, that's what's going to bring about the redemption of the world. Not not for you, it's for my name that I'm going to sanctify you. And so I feel like when we attribute things or say things about God that maybe are just cliche or in passing, we may be doing more damage than, than we think. We think we're just saying something that we've heard other people say, but people listen and people um, get an idea about what we think about God through the things we say and, and how we choose to, to talk about him. And so we may see them as just nonchalant things that you Christians just say, you know, and, and, and I think that we, we are saying things about who God actually is in our in our world. Yeah, so the cliche that we talked about last episode was God is in control. And the maybe the the point of saying that uh as we discussed is maybe uh distancing oneself from responsibility for a mm-hmm. situation um, and maybe in sometimes when we say that it's possible that we give God maybe more credit than God is due for maybe negative uh, things that are happening in our lives that we're just not taking responsibility for. And I also I think one of us pointed out in the last episode this idea that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, "Do not swear by uh, heaven for it is God's throne, or by the earth for it is His footstool. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no no." Anything other than this comes from the evil one. And I do think that as Christians, we should be more careful about telling people that God is either telling us things or um, telling people that God did something because we don't always know. Right. You know, we, we really don't always know. And so one of, a cliche that 
uh, I hear often that doesn't have God necessarily in it, but I think that for Christians implies God's involvement in certain things is the cliche, everything happens for a reason. And sometimes when Christians talk about this cliche and they talk about it in a spiritual way, they reference Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I think that's the New International Version translation of that verse. And if you look at the Greek, there are different ways to parse that verse out. You yeah, know. it's funny because I just heard N.T. Wright talk about this, so I was going to talk about it today anyway. So here we go. Yeah, great. But uh, while you're just kind of while you're gathering gather your thoughts there, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm always uh, maybe I shouldn't say always. I tend to to recognize that people we want to see God working in our lives. That's what we really. That's what we really want, and I want that. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to, I want to feel like God is the one who is propelling my life. The problem is, there are moments that we see in Scripture where people choose to propel their lives away from God. Right? Right? Jonah, you right. know, um, Cain, uh, sin is crouching at your door. You know, there are these, there are these moments where. Actually, people choose to run away from the thing that God is calling them to. This is if you read the book of the book of Kings, for example. Uh, what what happens there is that we we recognize that the kings in Israel chose with their power and with their authority to do things that God did not want them to do. And those kings in their lifetime were saying things like, you know, God wills it because it's happening. But in retrospect, as the historians are writing the books of Kings, they're saying, actually, these individuals were not acting in ways that pleased God. And so the wrath of God was then kind of was poured out. And so I think that there's, we ought to recognize that in the Bible, even, there's not just this single story of God always being in control, determining the outcomes of everything that happens. But there's actually this incredible dynamism of individuals choosing to be in control, you know, and choosing to make things happen for their own reasons. Okay, but let's back to Romans eight twenty eight. You, okay. you were going to say something about uh, that that verse and people, you know, who love to bring that up. Everything, um, all things work together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. So I was listening to uh, N.T. Wright. He was on a podcast, and um, he brought up this verse. And he's done extensive work in the Book of Romans and with Paul and and that whole um, genre of scripture and epistles and letters. And he, he talked about this and talked about the Greek and how it um, should be translated rather than maybe how it has uh, been like translated. Been yeah, translated. yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so he made it say sound that what the Greek is actually saying is not that, um, once again, as you quoted, that God works for the good of all those who love him, which makes it sound like God is doing things for the good of us. But he made it sound like that what the actual train and I had never took Greek, so I don't know a whole lot about it. Um, but he says the the feel of the passage is actually God works for good with those who love him. Ah, that it's not God working all of it, but it's he works with those people to bring about good in the world and to bring about the redemption of the creation to bring about. Because before that, it talks about the creation that is groaning to be redeemed. And and so it's not 
that God is is uh, the chess player moving all the pieces, but he is working with those who love him and are working to those ends that God is coming alongside those people to to bring about those things. That that was his take. And I was like, oh, man, that that makes more sense to me, I feel like, um, in the grand scheme of, of how we understand God's role and what that, that looks like. Sure. And, that, and one of the problems with translating with translating Greek into English is that the Greek language has prepositions that are multivalent, that that can mean multiple things. So the same word um, that means uh, to can also mean on top of, you know, and so, and so there there does there does require really an understanding not only of the Greek not only of the Greek language, but of the context of what an author is saying to really fully understand a text. And one of the disadvantages that we have of reading the Bible in English is that in some of these really critical junctures, as we talked about in the book of John uh, several episodes ago about when the disciples asked Jesus uh, who sinned, this person or his parents, that he was born uh, blind. And Jesus says, no one sinned while it is day. We must do the will of him who sent me. Um, And we... We translate that to say, you know, uh, the NIV says, no one, no one sinned, but this happened that God's will might be, you know, fulfilled in him or that God in some way might demonstrate a miracle in his life. Well, that's not really true to the spirit of the, the text. But again, I think in our, in our reformed, influenced culture of biblical interpretation, we want to accredit God credit for everything that happens and even Jesus himself in moments in the New Testament doesn't point directly to God as the source, but points to the people there as the source right. and says, hey, the question is not what did God do? We're never going to figure that out. The question is, what are we doing right, right now? Right. That's the, that is the primary question. you know. In Scripture, it's never God that chooses to live up to his end of the deal. It's always the people who fail to live up to their end of the covenant that God has made with them. I think in essence is what you're saying. It's never where's God and what is God up to? It's we have turned and we need to repent or come back to an understanding of who God's called us to be. And so I think that's, um, I mean, I think it's a huge point that, that God's the one that's never, um, that is, that is never um, acted in such a way that would be to our negative. It's we have sinned and are reaping the consequences of the seeds we have sown, reaping the consequences of our actions and, um, and sometimes we want to bring God into that and say, what well, you know, and, but I think that at the end of the day, it is always their understanding of they need to come back. They need to, um, once again, the word is repent or return to Shuba mm-hmm. in Hebrew mm-hmm. um, and, and, and return to an understanding of what it means to be the people of God. Yeah, I have been reading Ambrose as I'm working, you know, on my on my degree right now and studying for some exams. And one of the things that he talks about in talking about uh, atonement and the work of Christ for us, he, he says Ambrose believes that humans willingly chose, chose uh, for, for the devil to be their Lord in listening to the voice of the one in the garden, not choosing to obey the command of God. And one, one of the things that's interesting about that uh, really, when we think about when we think about the world, uh, what we need to realize is that we all have a theology. We all come to our lives with that theology, and we 
we look at our lives through a particular lens of theology. And some of us have a lens where we believe that God is just controlling and we don't really have much agency. But there's actually a really large group of theologians that actually believe that human agency is really kind of the beginning and end of a lot of the situations that we find ourselves in as humans. Um, some people believe that God um, knew or predestined in the garden that humans would sin and that this is kind of all a game that God started in the garden that he he initiated and he is going to end. Well, actually, there are, there are others that, that read it kind of quite opposite, that God started it all in benevolence and that he created us to be holy and that we chose to... F- we chose a different individual to be our Lord, a different voice to be the one that we obeyed rather than the voice of God. And that God has been pursuing us, you know, since the garden. But to your point, then uh, the situations we, we have the opportunity at every moment to either follow the will and the voice of God or to fall back onto ourselves, uh, to follow the voice of, of the enemy of the Hasatan, the adversary. But Jeremy, I, I want to I want to kind of go a little bit deeper into this idea of everything happens for a reason, uh, because none of us want to believe that God is absent mm-hmm. at any moment in our life. And we just came through the Christmas season, and I would say that you and I both firmly believe that God is in fact Emmanuel, mm-hmm. that God is with us. Mm-hmm. And so I think that one of the questions that people ask is, how can God be with us and God not be controlling? Okay, so how can God be with my friend in a car and then my my friend dies in a car accident how can those truths coexist you know um, and some people would say well that god being with the friend caused the car accident to happen because something good is going to come out of this terrible awful thing now, i'm this is real i mean oh, this I is i've it. heard many people say this type of thing that the well your problem, and this is this or is actually, even if um, you get a flat tire. Well, you were going to get in a bad accident. Like God's protecting you from yeah something that that, that could potentially yeah. Happen. It's not my negligence that I let my tires go to some <laughs> negative traction. You know, you know. Um, but but the idea that uh, that God God is the God is the one who has the agency in all of these situations. You know, and and not me. Um, give, give me some, give me some, some more thoughts. I feel like I was going somewhere and I just lost my train of thought. Okay. Um, I think that, uh, as like a lot of things that were going through my mind when you were just talking and I feel like, I feel like that it can be a thing that, that can be comforting, but I also feel like that if we're not careful, it can create, um, a laziness among the believers of God to have this understanding as well. Um, because I think that um, the way I, I would say it would be lazy is is things happen in history or things happen that have a bigger understanding or a bigger ramification for why these situations and circumstances are happening. So, um, for instance, um, it's easier when you say all things are working together for good to, to look at something like um, systemic racism or something that is is happening that we would see as a negative and for me to to then just be able to sit back and say well it's happening for a reason and good's going to come of it rather than being engaged in saying this is not what god would want 
This is a, a sin. <laughs> this is things that, because of decisions humans have made, have led to this point to where we are. And it's easier to say, well, let's see what good God can, can, can do from it, rather than getting involved and naming what that is and saying, this is not, God did not do this. God is not um, okay with this. Um, and so it can create a laziness that I, I just throw my hands up and say, well, then God must be doing this so that good can come from it. And I, I, I think that where the flip side would be, no, God has given us a mission and a job to be in the world. And, and it could get messy. It could be difficult. You could have to have some difficult conversations. You could lose friends. You could get persecuted. I think Jesus promised us that when we follow after him, these things might happen. Yeah, he promises a cross. Right. I mean, actually, difficult things. And what so, we would perceive but, but as I bad feel like, things. Yeah, and I think that, that we get lazy because we, when we have these thoughts that, well, everything happens for a reason, it's, it's an easy way to just throw my hands up and not really try to look at the situation, the circumstance for what it is, and not be involved in such a way that brings about that redemption, that that understanding of how God really wants the world to be. Um, I don't know if that's fair, but like I said, yeah. it just came to my mind that it's an it's an easy way to let people off the hook. You might say, sure. Um, I think you see that in you know like the bigger things too, like the Holocaust, where a church backed a, a leader that that did these terrible things because it was just easier to say, well, maybe this is how God's going to work in the world is through this guy, you know, and I know that's a huge generalization and there was a whole lot more going on in Germany and, and, you know, in in that time. Jeremy, I was having a conversation just a couple of months ago where an individual said, you know, God, God must have willed the Holocaust because it happened. And I said, what are you talking about? Right. You know, and, and this individual but believes that because this thing happened in history, it must have been God's will. It's not that's not just a um that's not just a thought that, you know, you're using as an example. Like people actually believe that in the world. So then I feel like a good follow up question that I never think of in the moment, but I'm thought of right now would be okay, you say that, but then wouldn't that make everybody that believes that a universalist because it says in scripture that God wills that all men be saved. Um, so wouldn't that be God's will too? Well, is if, that, yeah, that, so if these people have no agency on choosing that they're going to die terrible deaths in concentration camps, there just must be no responsibility or culpability for anybody involved in the situation. Right. I'm just yeah. saying it literally says God wills that this is going right, to happen. Exactly. And so everybody's going to be in heaven, but nobody... Most people who have this thought don't believe that. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So I feel like there's the a um, well, yeah, God Cognitive wills this, dissonance. but God, yeah. you know, where it plainly says that God. So I would look at that and say it is God's desire that all people would be saved. But once again, you know, and this may sound crazy, but I'm not sure God always gets what, what God he... wants. <laughs> well, so that that right there is a, is a major theological idea that I don't think a lot of people feel comfortable with. Right. But but it actually is an idea that that jibes with with scripture that that God doesn't doesn't get what he wants. I mean, this is the prophets are God's voice calling out to people who are doing things that God does not want them to do. Right. The prophets don't say very simply, well, yep, this is this is exactly what is um, what should be happening. This is exactly what God wants. 
they essentially say the opposite. This is what God does not want. Repent. <laughs> Turn around. Right, right, and right, Jesus right, 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 comes right. and says, hey, this is not what God wants. Repent. Right. Turn around. But the question, this question still stands, how can God exist, be Emmanuel, in situations maybe that God doesn't will or doesn't want or that God's not crazy about? You know, that's... Um, that's that's still a question that I think persists in people's minds that are honestly, you know, trying to square their faith with terrible things that happened in their life or the perceived terrible things that happened in their life. I think uh, I think for me, one of the analogies that I love to use when talking about God is one that Scripture uses is the analogy of God as a parent. You know, I I love my children very very much, but I, as a parent, can't control all of their decisions. You know. And so when my child, being absolutely wild and crazy, jumps off a piece of furniture or tumbles down the stairs, you know, and hurts themselves, I, the, the deed has already been done. All I can do as a parent is work to make the, work to make the best out of the situation, right? So if the kid has broken their arm, I can scoop them up in my arms and rush them to the hospital. I can, you know, but, but it. But I can't just because I'm their parent and wish that it they wouldn't have done that. I can't just wave my hand over them, you know, and do away with the thing that just happened. And I do think that there are some folks that have a perception of God that God also okay, so he yeah, so if he was really present, then what he would do is he would wave a magic wand over all terrible situations and just do away with them and we would kind of exist in a static existence of a static reality of goodness. Right. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Just just the presence of God in in terrible situations. Yeah. And I feel like whenever you get into this conversation, you know, somebody will will inevitably bring up so are you saying you don't believe like in miracles? That that uh, when Jesus was touching blind people, did they really see? Or the you know, like I feel like that that comes up because it 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 can feel like we're we're totally negating um, God actually doing things amongst or in the world. Is that is that a fair like yeah? And I would assumption. Say, or, I would say that's not where I'm coming from. No, absolutely. You know? I just wanted to because I would totally um, totally believe that God is active and God is doing. Um, but I feel like it's it's. I feel like we are either on we are on either side of the pendulum either god is like controlling all and god is 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 manipulating all or god's nowhere to be present or like almost like an agnostic um this 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 god is a you know there is a god but he has nothing to do with what's going on and and, and i feel like maybe there's a living in the tension in the middle is it's not that god is never active but it's that god gives us the ability and the freedom to to make the decisions and to do what it is that that we want to do ultimately. I don't remember if I've told this story on on our podcast. If so, it would have been years ago, and it's very uh, germane to this conversation, one that has impacted my faith greatly. Uh, my grandmother was a missionary to the Ukraine, and uh, she wasn't far from Chernobyl. And you know, there's a lot of speculation about cancer and this type of thing. Well, my family doesn't really have a history of cancer, but after years of being in Ukraine. Uh, just after the fall of the Iron Curtain, my uh, my grandma really got eaten up by cancer. 
And in, uh, I think it was around 2007, she was battling for her life in a hospital in Indiana. And uh, I went to see her uh, with my with my cousin. And uh, we were standing there at her hospital bed. And my cousin said, Grandma, you know, God can heal you. You just have to believe God will heal you. And my, my uh, 70-year-old grandma uh, very sweetly, you know, said to my cousin, she said, you know, uh, I've seen miracles in my lifetime that would blow your mind. <laughs> mm, that's awesome. She said, you know, I completely agree with you that if God wanted to heal me of this cancer, he could, you know. And she said, she said, but the fact of the matter is I live in the world in which cancer is a reality and I've got an old body and I've lived a long time and God's been good to me. Mm. And, you know, if God chooses not to heal me, it's not going to make him any less God. And it's not going to remove my my memory or my faith of the ways that I've seen God move in the world. And I was wow. just, I was blown down. I was like, Grandma, that is, that is such, you know, what an, what an amazing testimony of faith on a deathbed. Right. Um, and, and I, uh, and she went, she died terribly. I mean, yeah. cancer ate her up. I mean, it was, it was hard to watch. And we were all uh, gathered around her bed, uh, singing and, uh, as she breathed her last, mm. you know, she was just an amazing, amazing woman. But, but what, what was interesting to me about her is that she had this amazing ability to have radical faith in the ability of God to move in the world. Yet in no way did it bother her if God didn't do exactly what she wanted yeah. when she wanted it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it was just, and to me, that is, that's kind of the ideal. I mean, that's, that's, what a life of faith ought to look like right. is not someone who, you know, necessarily believes that God is controlling all of the elements of the world that recognizes they have a, a role to play in it. I mean, this woman is uh, my grandma. She she gave decades of her life to missionary work. Yeah, she was convinced that she needed to share the gospel uh, in a particular way with people that had not uh, heard it you know, in the way that she was presenting it. And I, and I very much admire her. And I, and I think that her life was incredibly meaningful, you know, and she didn't see her cancer as some punishment from God, as God doing, you know, orchestrating her to get cancer. She understood that while it is day, she must do the work of him who sent her. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Night is coming, as Jesus said. I heard one person say it, like, I can't remember who it was, so they, they may be dead, but, um, you should pray like it all depends on God, but live like it all depends on you. I love that. Like you, you pray like you know that unless God acts and intervenes and you beg him to do that, but that doesn't get you off the hook to then live in such a way that it, it might depend on you to, to make this happen. And, and I feel like living in that tension. And, and so somebody might say, well, you can't do that. You're either going to think you're doing it or God's doing. It. I was like, well, that's, I feel like, that's the goal though. And I feel like I hear that in your grandma, like you pray, but you, it doesn't get you off the hook to just say, well, everything that's going to happen is going to happen. And it happens for a reason. It's I'm going to pray with this fervency, but then I'm going to get up and go do something about the, the, the injustices and the, the bad that I see in the world. And maybe the only thing I can do is sit next to the bed of someone who's dying. I can't fix it 
but I can at least be the presence of, of a God who is, is there in the midst of those situations and that brokenness. And it doesn't mean that the God will act like you said, what the way I want him to, but in the midst of the pain, and I feel like this is where it gets back to what N.T. Wright was saying about Romans 8, 28, is God works with those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that that's where we find God is in the midst of that community of people, that expression of, of his love and grace in the world. That's where we see God is present in the suffering and the pain in the, when you're, you know, the guy that dies in the car accident that you were talking about earlier, like, where was God? Well, God's with the family as people come alongside those who are, are present. Um, I read a book by Rowan Williams, and it was after 9-11, and he was actually in New York in 9-11, and the book's called Writing in the Dust. It's this nice little, I mean, it's real small, um, but he talks about a few days afterwards, he was walking around, and he saw on a car that was covered in dust, somebody had scribbled the word hope or something, and he's like, so where do you find God in the midst of this crazy situation, and, and basically the sum of the book is, is in the writing in the dust, like the people who are have seen this and experienced this, but still with their finger can write a word of hope in the midst of the fallenness and the brokenness and the craziness of the situation. And it just it just really was good for me to to be a reminder that once again that God is working with those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And once again, if you read before that, that the creation is just yearning and longing to be redeemed, not just humanity, but all of creation is, is what Paul's talking about, the whole created order. And that we also, who long for that, God comes alongside those people. And as those people are in the world, he is present um, in, with, in the midst of, through those people, as they um, live and breathe and talk and do the things that, that they've called him to do. So I want to go back and talk about prayer because I think that you hit a really significant point in bringing up how our understanding of God really affects our prayer life and our life in the world. Somebody so, said prayer is theology. I don't know who said that, but the way people pray, you can determine who, who they think God is. Yeah. Uh, my my thought here is very influenced by Tony Campolo. Okay. Um, Tony Campolo, uh, he tells a story of uh, a situation they were in where people were uh, praying for a financial need and Tony Tony in the in the prayer meeting said hold on hold on we're we're stopping the prayer meeting right now because in this room there's enough people to provide for this financial need we don't we mock God to pray about something that we have the ability to fix right now I was in a uh, a meeting as a guy in my young 20s uh, with several significant officials on my district in the church of the Nazarene and the leader of the meeting, uh, we were going about to pray. He said, hey, I just want you to know there's this pastor on the south side of Chicago whose furnace just went out. And he's just, you know, the church hasn't has a really tough time with finances. And I was sitting in a room in the richest church on the district, you know, and we were about to go to prayer. And I, I just said, hey, I, I realize it may not be my place to talk here, but I, I just have a hard time with us praying for this need. I said, I'm not... I'm not very wealthy, but I, I'm curious, how much does the, how much does the furnace, would the furnace cost for this man? And they, you know, the guy said, oh, it's $2,000. I said, well, my wife and I don't have much, but I'll give 10%. I'll give 200 of it. I'm sure that there's more of you in this room that could also give. 
And immediately, I mean, you could hear a pen drop. You know, I mean, it was very awkward. And the guy leading the prayer meeting kind of backpedaled and uh, said, you know, I think that the, I think that we'll take care of the, we'll take care of the need. But it's really kind of laughable, the things that we, I, th- I wonder sometimes if God sits in heaven and thinks to himself, what more do you need to change the world? Yeah. I mean, I've put so many things at your disposal and you're praying about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we pray that God that God's presence would be near to people when God calls us to be his presence to people. You know, don't pray for your friend at the hospital. Go visit your friend at the hospital and pray with your friend at the hospital. Don't yeah. pray for the lady at the nursing home. Go go to the nursing home. Oh, Whoa. I just, just had a snafu here. <laughs> don't just, don't pray for, don't pray for the, uh, the person at the, the nursing home. Go, go pray with the person at the nursing home. I mean, I think that, uh, the, the idea that everything happens for a reason if it inclines us to live in such a way where we don't have to be responsible for things that are happening in the world we might be we might just be mocking god Hmm. by saying everything happens for a reason yeah i so many stories came to my mind that when you were talking and one that's kind of the tony campolo where a guy was like came to the pastor was like man this this single mom with kids the land she can't pay the rent the landlord's kicking them out and the pastor's like this is terrible and he's like yeah we, we should really do something about it and the pastor's like all right all right all right, all right. And he's like um so how are you family how do you know them and the guy looks he's like no i'm the landlord and uh <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> and so it's just this idea of we should do something it's like well yeah you could and um <laughs> Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> Give him a break. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that it, it also reminds me, too, that uh, I think Shane Claiborne wrote a book called Becoming the Answers to Your Prayers. And in the book, he tells a story of a, someone who's praying to God, like, God, could you help this? Why don't you do something about it? And God looks and responds, I did do something about it. I created you um, to go meet that need yeah. or to be a part yeah. of that. And it's that whole feeling. And, and so I just think that, that once again, um, we we look in our faith sometimes to be a little more lazy, a little more hands off, and I think that it's hard to look at the cross and a Jesus who took mud and and touched blinded eyes and who got real dirty and and choose to you know as John said move into the neighborhood, um, dwelt among us. I, I think that it's it's hard to for me to to rationalize. Um, that understanding of what faith might actually look like. But we want it because then it, it gets me off the hook. And I feel like a lot of it may be this, this um, I mean, this is a whole nother topic that we may not have time for today, but I feel like it's, it's really affected by our view of um, the end times or eschatology. Yeah. And, and that my, my spiritual goal here is to go somewhere after I die rather than maybe my spiritual goal is to participate with the God of the universe and making creation the world a little more like he wants it to be. And and I think it's this disease that causes me to throw my hands up and say, well, I've said the prayer, or I've done what I'm doing, I'm good for the end. And um, and maybe we've, we've misplaced the priority to being the end rather than the present and what God might have for us to do here and now. So there's an entire book of the Bible 
that talks completely about the agency of people. And it's one that we often neglect. It's the book of Proverbs. Hmm. The book of Proverbs doesn't talk at all about what God is doing. The book of Proverbs talks about what people are doing. Now, the most probably the most quoted verse of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And that is a, that is a passage that is talking about being attuned to the voice of God, to listening, not getting yourself so caught up in your own uh, ambition that you f- forget or neglect the Lord, right? But it's still, it's still about human, uh, human agency. Mm-hmm. I think that the dark side of everything happens for a reason. It can actually be true that everything happens for a reason and then those things not be God. I mean, it can be the case that you get in an accident because you're texting someone. Hmm. You know, I was, I was talking to a friend just last week who was talking to me uh, about my own life and the, the pace of my own life. And he said to me, I hope that in the pace of your life, something bad doesn't happen to you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, oftentimes, you know, terrible things happen to people that are not being careful, that are not paying attention, that have their attention so many places, you know, that, you know, they leave the stove on and the house burns down. They... Um, they aren't paying attention to that. They don't maintain their car, you know, and they have a tire blowout which causes some sort of accident. And he just starts listening to these things. And, you know, I actually have had moments in my life of great irresponsibility Hmm. where I have been close to death. I've almost caused the death of another. And in those moments, I feel like I have felt the voice of God saying to me, look at what you're doing. Hmm. What have you done? Look at what you could have done. And it's just interesting. I mean, seriously, there, there is a, um, uh, um, there s- several, several traumatic moments. A couple, a year or so ago, I, uh, um, uh, threw my, uh, three-year-old off of a golf cart. And in a moment, you know, I thought that I had, that I had killed her. And I, it was one of the most frantic, terrible moments of my life. And, and as I held her and I realized she was all okay, it was one of those moments of, of I feel like stern conviction from from the spirit, saying Jonathan, what, what are you doing? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like I I feel like we don't want to admit that bad things happen because we're stupid. <laughs> bad things happen because we're irresponsible. Right. Bad things happen because we're lazy. Right. Right. And the book of Proverbs calls out to us and says, Hey, do you want a good life? Be responsible. Be engaged. Be careful. Be disciplined. You know what I'm saying? It's not that bad things don't still happen to people that are engaged, careful, disciplined, and fill in the blank. But you sure can do a whole lot for your life. You know, uh, I uh, I get somewhat annoyed. Uh, this is a high risk here. I get somewhat annoyed at the people who come to me, you know, whose marriage is falling apart, who has a terrible relationship with their kid, who... Um, has terrible health, and they tell me the story of all of the decisions that they've made that have been detrimental to the situation that they're talking about. Mm. And they say to me, you know, where is God? And I'm like, well, there hasn't been a place for God <laughs> because you've been the one, uh, you know, driving this ship right. <laughs> in the opposite direction that I think the Lord would want you to, you know? Well, I feel like too, yeah. And... 
I feel like Proverbs, and I was just actually just read a sermon on one of the Proverbs that you would look at and think, oh, that's weird because it's about eating meat or eating vegetables. You know, it's really strange. But this guy did a great job of diving deep into the understanding in that culture that if you had meat, it probably meant you had to work more hours so that you could afford the meat. And if you were just eating greens and vegetables, you actually had more time to be with your family. And it was the um, something about better it is to to eat greens and vegetables and and have i mean i'm butchering the proverb but the essence was that's better because you actually have time to be with the people that you love and to be with the people around you than it is to run the rat race just so you can eat meat every day um was the essence of what the the proverb was about and so i feel like when i was reading i was like oh my goodness it made me think about other proverbs and other um things that come from that book of wisdom is is i think really pushing people to understand that the most important thing is like to be present with those that 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 you're with and that you're around and it seems like so often we're always clamoring for the attention of people that that really don't matter uh, or maybe that really don't make uh it's not going to affect my life whatsoever and, and most often when I'm clamoring for, for whatever that goal or that understanding may be for my life, I'm missing the people that are right there in front of me. And part of the neglect and part of the irresponsibility is sometimes when I get focused on things that aren't the most important thing that I should be um, focusing on and living my life for. And I feel like the, the cliche, everything happens for a reason, uh, the reason why I think it can be so detrimental is, once again, it gives us that out to not be present with the people that are actually, that we're doing life with or that we should be doing life with. And the reason marriages suffer is because husband and wife don't spend quality time. They don't spend time together doing anything. Um, and then and there becomes a divide. And it seems like um, just the more I study and the more I read, it it, it just, I really feel... And the, the, even looking at Jesus's life and how he didn't travel a whole lot of distance, like he never got outside of, of the region that he was in, you know, I, 80 miles maybe. Um, and, you know, I have to drive almost that, you know, to my, from my house to here and back. Um, because he was with the people and present with the people and he was never in a hurry. He was never too... Um, busy to stop and talk to whomever interacted with him and was coming across his path. Um, even though the disciples frustrated him, he didn't give up on them. He knew that they could could be an agent of change in the world if they could see and understand the vision of what God actually wanted for us. And uh, I, I think that that I, it's just I'm being reminded again and again and again that I want my life to be lived present in the moment with the people that God has given me to love on, to care for. Um, and I don't want any excuse to throw my hands up and say, well, I guess this just happened for, for the reason. I don't want any excuse to try to get out of the the life and the understanding of who God wants me to be. I don't want to, to, to throw anything into the wind and hope that things happen. But I really want to be present with those um, present with those that I feel like God has given me and, and really want my life to be about people and not about things um, other than that. Well, that really is the gospel lifestyle. I mean, I feel like the title evangelical, anyone who is evangelical, one who's a bearer of the good news would be someone 
who just lives their life in that type of way. And that's really what we hope for you all. That's the point of us doing this podcast today is that we really hope that maybe this conversation that we've had has spurred your maybe, you know, critical, uh, maybe, maybe you taking a critical lens to your own life and asking yourself the question, how careful am I being? How loving am I being? How intentional am I being? How receptive to the voice of the Spirit am I being if I actually believe that God is in some way a part of what's going on in my life? Am I allowing him to or am I just the one who's making things happen for my own for my own reasons? A great conversation today, Jeremy. Give us more cliches. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll tackle them. Yeah. Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.